Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well. This is To The Point. A lot to dive into today. We had some football last night. It was not good football, either game, on the doubleheader of Monday Night Football. We had two games, two results. We'll react to it today. Some other football news. Jalen Waddle, wide receiver of the Miami Dolphins, is in concussion protocol, as is Anthony Richardson, the Indianapolis Colts starting quarterback. We got some news on Saquon Barkley, and it's been a tough start to the year, man, for injuries. It's, I hate it. I hate it. Some of the players that have gone down early in this season that you want to see play that are interesting. I mean, you think about it. Aaron Rodgers, the most polarizing quarterback in the NFL, now that Tom Brady has retired. People love Aaron. People hate Aaron. Democrats hate him. Republicans, I think, have have started to love Aaron Rodgers even more. And then there's the football community. People hate him in Wisconsin now. People love him in New York. We didn't even get to see him play. Four snaps. One pass attempt. That was incomplete. His season's over. And then last night, Nick Chubb, arguably the best running back in the NFL, is injured at the end of the first half. They don't even want to show the replay on the mothership because it's so gruesome the way he went down. A guy who was running for 6.8 yards a carry last night prior to his injury behind a, I actually think a really good offensive line despite some of the statistics last night. If you look at the Cleveland, uh, Cleveland's uh, sack total, I think that has gotten more to do with their bad quarterback. But you see Nick Chubb go down. And I love watching him play. He's a physical running back and he's, He's phenomenal at what he does. And my only thought was, and this is probably bad to say, but I'm like, why couldn't that have been Deshaun Watson? Why couldn't Deshaun Watson blow his knee last night or get a concussion or any kind of injury that somebody has gotten? I wish it was Deshaun Watson. Because the dude's a scumbag. But no, it's Nick Chubb who can squat 600 pounds and runs with extreme intensity and plays the game correct and has done nothing wrong off the field, but it's the good person who gets punished. And that's, it's unfortunate. Injuries are, they happen to anybody. It's like with cancer. Good people die that have cancer, that have done nothing to deserve getting sick, but they get sick. When you see people that have lived horrible lives and they've done bad things, they don't get punished for it. It's unfortunate. But we have to move on. But that's it's a lot of things to take out of last night's games. But last night you see Nick Chubb, knee surgery, out for the year. Minka Fitzpatrick, who's one of the best secondary players in the NFL, an absolute ball hawk. He had six tackles last night, forced fumble, and a tackle for a loss. He left the game. 
who knows how long he's going to be out. And then Miles Garrett comes up lame on a pass rush. Not to mention you have Jack Conklin, who's out for the season on the Cleveland Browns offensive line. Deontay Johnson's on injured reserve. And Cameron Hayward has already had surgery on an injured hamstring. That's just two teams. That's just two teams. And as crazy as it is, the the sport gets less and less physical. You can't hit the quarterbacks anymore. Thankfully, they called Deshaun Watson on the face mask last night. He did it about three times. But you can't hit quarterbacks anymore, so they're safer. But the rest of the sport really isn't. It's still brutal. Still a violent sport. The Carolina game, Shaq Thompson, who's been the heartbeat of that defense for a long time. He was a first-round draft pick. God, he's got to have been on that team seven, eight years. Never left Carolina. Good soldier. He was on the team that got to the Super Bowl at Cam Newton, and that was in 2015. So that's at least, this would be at least his eighth season. It might have been his rookie year that they went to the Super Bowl because he was great coming out of college. Red this morning, fractured fibula, broken leg, out for the year. It's something else. The script just, it just isn't right. Why are we losing so many great players? Why has the quarterback play been so bad? Because <laughs> it has been across the NFL. But yet we eat it up, of course. You love it. And Aaron Rodgers is saying he wants to come back from a torn Achilles. If they can make the playoffs. If Zach Wilson can get them there. But it's just unfortunate. Nick Chubb is just a joy to watch. When he runs through a hole and he gets that burst, he's a beast. And Cleveland is still a pretty good football team. But I even forgot this So right now. Zadarius Smith left the game last night. Their second-best pass rusher. The guy who they traded for with the Minnesota Vikings, he left the game as well. I mean, that team got picked apart, and somehow they, they lose the game. So looking past the injuries, because we will forget about them because the weeks move on. Our next game is Thursday. Week three commences, and you forget about the injuries. You don't care anymore. But I wanted to bring it up today because I care in the moment because I want to see these guys play. And unfortunately, they don't get to anymore. The bigger game last night was certainly Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And what a game it was. It had everything, the game last night. It had big plays. It had strong defense. The aforementioned injuries. Challenges. Multiple felt like the first quarter took an hour and a half to finish. And you go through it. And the Pittsburgh Steelers couldn't have played much worse than they did last night. Kenny Pickett was horrible. 
Matt Canada is not a good offensive coordinator. He's not been a good offensive coordinator for some time. But last night was less about him and more about the quarterback. Kenny Pickett. I'm not a quarterback evaluator. I'm not as smart as Dan Orlovsky or some of these great guys that do it now. But if you're just watching the game, Kenny's Pickett, Kenny Pickett, his biggest flaw are his eyes. And what I mean by that is he stares at his target. You know he's who he's going to throw the ball to. He stares at him, and it's easy for the defense to pick up, oh my God, that's where he's going to throw the ball, because he's only looked at him in his progression. When he threw the interception in the first quarter, he's staring at George Pickens, staring at him. And you had a safety drop in coverage. He's kind of sitting on the route. He notices where the ball is going to go. He jumps it, and it's a pick. And the remainder of the game, Kenny Pickett did not get any better. He was indecisive. He completed only 50% of his passes. And yes, he's without Deontay Johnson, who's a big miss. But George Pickens had 127 receiving yards. The next receiver was Allen Robinson, who had two catches for 12 yards. Those were both in the first quarter. He only trusted him. He only trusted that progression. Jalen Warren, who who needs to get the ball more. Najah Harris is getting far too many snaps. Jalen Warren is faster. He's shiftier. In an offense that is very structured, that is very pedestrian in the play calling. You need to have speed on the field. No Deontay Johnson. Use Jalen Warren to your advantage. But I was high in Pittsburgh before the year. The best thing I can say about them is that they won a game that they shouldn't have won. We're looking at it here. Cleveland finished the game with five turnovers. Cleveland was awful. You had Njoku with a bad fumble. You had Deshaun Watson with a pair of them. You had him throwing a bad interception in the first half. Alex Highsmith getting a pick six. Alex Highsmith then forcing the forced fumble that goes into TJ Watt that ends up winning the game. Pittsburgh scored 26 points last night total. 14 of them were by the defense. 14 of them because they just had guys that made plays, quite frankly. Guys on their defense that balled out. They scored one offensive touchdown where he hit George Pickens and he took it to the house. But other than that, they didn't have a splash play. Kenny Pickett struggled with his eyes, he held the ball too long, and Cleveland had a great day. Their defense was extremely solid. 
I also think the Pittsburgh offensive line is not very good. And when you have a quarterback that's not that confident and you're behind an offensive line that I don't think he trusts, it expedites the problem. It makes it worse. Now, all that being said, picket, bad interception, bad game. You had Gunnar Oshevsky, who had a brutal fumble. Pittsburgh turned the ball over twice themselves. So they were far from perfect. How about Cleveland? Five turnovers. Five turnovers last night from the Cleveland Browns. I looked at their game plan from Kevin Stefanski. And I thought early on their team looked really good. Deshaun wasn't perfect. But as I mentioned, Nick Chubb was running for 6.8 yards a clip. Pittsburgh could not stop the run. You were getting chunk plays. And to finish, Chubb finished the game averaging 6 yards a carry. So did his backup, Jerome Ford, who averaged 6 yards a carry on 16 carries for 106 yards. They can run the football. They can run the football. So all that being said, you have close to 200 yards rushing for the game, 198. You have 11 more first downs. And you lost the game. Deshaun Watson cost them that game last night. His inability to read defenses, his inability to understand when it's the correct call to extend a play and when it's time to throw the damn ball away, which is something he needs to learn. Okay, the pocket is collapsing late in the fourth quarter. TJ Watt is, I see him coming. I can throw the ball away or try to escape. Let me try to escape. Okay. T.J. Watt gets his sack and now leads the Steelers all-time in sacks for the franchise. But he gets sacked six times last night. A forced fumble. He looked lost. He looks competent, Deshaun Watson, when the run game is the leading factor. And Cleveland has to rely on Jerome Ford, who becomes running back one, to continue to run the rock. Because their offensive line is still good. Deshaun went 22 for 40. That's garbage. Averaging five yards a throw. Look at the team. Amari Cooper's fantastic. Dallas gave up on him. The Duke can still play. His route running is fantastic. But he still looks like the quarterback from last year. He still looks like the guy that struggled after replacing Jacoby Brissett when his suspension was done. It's as if he wants to be a running back, but he's a quarterback, so you have to figure out what you want to do first. 
yeah, you're playing against a good pass rush. But the amount of sacks he's taking in the first week and then six last night against the Steelers, he's not going to hold up. I'll get my wish. He'll get injured. And my guy DTR will be under center for the Cleveland Browns. Dorian Thompson-Robinson. But these the bootleg plays from the run game, it's, it's quite simple for Cleveland. When you are running the ball that effectively, wide receivers are going to be open because Pittsburgh or any defense, if you're running that well, just, just a, in general, are going to sell out to stop the run. Meaning they're going to load the box and there will be holes in the middle of the defense. And he couldn't take advantage of that. He couldn't find throws. Instead, I'm going to try to extend a play. I'm going to try not to take a sack. Let me grab somebody's face mask for the third time tonight. He put them in such bad situations. Third and long. Taking a sack, then taking the the face mask penalty. Putting it in a no-win situation. And yeah, you lost Nick Chubb. And yeah, Miles Garrett was hurt. And Zadarius Smith had to leave. And you turned the ball over four times. But all that being said, you still should have won the game. Because Pittsburgh couldn't score. Pittsburgh couldn't generate anything. They needed 14 points from their defense to get a victory. 14 of 26. Cleveland could only put up 22 themselves. They had multiple times where they had short fields. Because Kenny Pickett gave it to them and Gunnar Oshetsky gave it to them. But you can't capitalize. Both quarterbacks were awful last night. In this division, Joe Burrow has been pathetic. Whether it's his injured quad or it's his, just his play in general. I don't know. All I know is his play this year has been junk. Deshaun Watson through two weeks has not been good. Kenny Pickett through two weeks has been an unmitigated disaster. Ravens are 2-0. Lamar Jackson's looked pretty good. Lamar is quietly just going about his business, beating the Bengals on Sunday, hitting Zay Flowers, his new favorite wide receiver for big yardage. And they got injuries at running backs, another injury, J.K. Dobbins, but they're just going about their business down there in Maryland, winning games. rest of this division Oof. Cleveland Pittsburgh Cincinnati all better defenses than Baltimore in my mind but if you can't score points if you can't generate if your quarterback cannot be trusted then you're going nowhere you don't got a shot I know Pittsburgh hopes Kenny Pickett can turn it around. And you got to be thankful that you had two division games and you escape with a victory. And I don't think Matt Canada is a good offensive coordinator. I thought he should have been fired after last season. 
but he's back. But this is more on Kenny Pickett playing like a quarterback, at least a good quarterback, a decent quarterback, an average. He's playing below Mac Jones level last night. They go play the Raiders on Sunday Night Football. It's not a bad opponent to have if you want to see your quarterback play well. But this offense needs to find some confidence. They need to find some rhythm. And something I've noticed about the first two weeks, credit to defenses, credit to secondaries, because they're locking receivers up. Pickens was the only target Kenny Pickett thought he could go to last night. We're going to talk about New Orleans, Carolina. Bryce Young had nobody to throw the ball to last night. He didn't play well, but he had nobody to throw the ball to because nobody was open. So DBs, safeties, they're playing well. They're making it difficult on quarterbacks to be successful. So they deserve credit for that. Pittsburgh escapes, but both teams are battered. Nick Chubb is confirmed. He's done for the year. No word yet on the other couple. Okay. But We shall see. New Orleans, Carolina. Poof. Another game with bad quarterback play. I was high on the Saints. I thought they'd be the best team in their division. I thought they'd win their division. And it's crazy to say after week two that the Saints the Falcons, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are all 2-0 in the NFC South. But Derek Carr has looked disastrous in the first two weeks. Last night it seemed like every throw he was trying to make was short. Or it just wasn't, it wasn't getting there. It wasn't smooth. And there was no cohesion. He threw behind wide receivers. He just made stupid mistakes, I thought. He he just didn't play well. They had six points at the half. The New Orleans Saints. I mean, look at Derek Carr, 21 for 36. Last night, he didn't score a touchdown. Scored them on the ground, but without the Taysom Hill packages last night, the Saints would have been in big trouble. Taysom Hill ran the ball nine times for 75 yards. Under center, getting those carries. Taking Derek Carr off the field. You look around and go, you have Mike Thomas. Chris Olave is their best receiver. My guy at Ohio State, he can do anything. 
Shahid's a fun little receiver down the field. He can do just about anything. He's a deep threat. Jawan Johnson has gotten three catches through two games. Don't know, don't know why. You can use Taysom Hill in a variety of packages. They're going to get Alvin Kamara back after week three. So it should work. And their defense is fantastic. They, it was 12 games in a row last night that they did not allow 20 points. 12 straight games. I mean, Cam Jordan, Saunders, who was great last night, Demario Davis, who's kind of the heart and soul. They brought in Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew last year. Obviously, Marshawn Lattimore. And the Panthers are no good. We know this. Rookie quarterback, bad team, bad receivers, poor offensive line. But to only beat the Panthers by three points, Panthers to cover the number when it comes to gambling, that's alarming. This is about Derek Carr and the team finding cohesion. But I also think it's on Derek Carr to play better. Because there were, there were guys open last night. There was just throws flat out he missed. He threw an interception into triple coverage. I don't know what he was seeing. He's more talented than the tape he's put on so far this year. He has a good arm. He's got all the talent in the world. But it's, it's just not flashing. It's not there. So the good thing about New Orleans and Pittsburgh, oddly enough, the two teams that won last night, I think both their defenses are phenomenal. New Orleans, I would even put above Pittsburgh, despite the fact that T.J. Watt's a better defensive player than anybody in New Orleans. New Orleans as a group, Dennis Allen's been there. He's the head coach, but he was defensive coordinator under Sean Payton before. So they know what they're doing. And they keep their team in every game. And they don't give up huge plays down the field. And they're just a solid, solid team. Bryce Young scored some points in garbage time. They got a touchdown late that got Carolina to cover the number. But it in the fourth quarter, it, it was well out of hand. It was a 10-point lead for the Saints, and you knew they were going to win. It's kind of like that Alabama-South Florida game. It was not impressive, but you knew the Saints were going to come out of the game with the victory. But you saw in the fourth quarter, Derek Carr ripped it down the field, hit Chris Olave, hit Shahid. You need to do more of that. You need to do more of that. It can't just be check down Charlie, oh, I see you underneath, and it was missing those easy throws. I think for Derek Carr, he's a guy that is energetic. He's a guy that gets pissed off during games. Let him rip it. Let him throw the football down the field. And and see what happens. Give him that ability. Incorporate that more often into the offense. Because it's just mundane and boring right now, the Saints offense. Nothing special, but and they have players on the field that it should be better. And Derek Carr needs to set his feet and find the receivers. Don't just, oh, I see him, I throw it now. Set it, set it up. He feels the pressure because the Raiders cut him. 
And I think he wants to validate himself as a quarterback and how good he is and all of that. Hasn't done it so far. Two games. They got the Packers this weekend in an interesting matchup. The best thing for New Orleans, they're 2-0. They're 2-0 with two other teams in their division, which is crazy. But they are the most, they have a lot of talent on their team. And at his best, Derek Carr is a better quarterback than Desmond Ritter. And at his best, Derek Carr is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. So you should feel good about that moving forward saying, hey, we know we have the best quarterback in this division. We just need to execute. We need to implement the offense better and start to make plays. Because it didn't happen last night. And you're not going to be able to face Carolina every week, who right up there is one of the worst teams in the NFL. Now looking at Carolina. Bryce Young, he had some good moments and some bad moments. He fumbled twice, which is not good. He's holding the ball too long. He's a little indecisive. That's the rookie quarterback 101 is you want to see you want to see your receivers get wide open completely down the field and you hold the ball, you hold the ball and end up being punched out and you result in turnovers. But I also will say other than Adam Thielen on short breaking in routes he doesn't have a receiver that could get open. Thielen had seven catches for 54 yards. DJ Chark had one catch. Mingo had a 22-yard catch, the last play, one of the last plays offensively of the game, right towards the end zone. Other than that, no wide receiver made a catch. Chuba Hubbard had five catches. Sanders had three. Hayden Hurst. But the wide receivers on this team, the skill position players, are as bad as it gets. They had DJ Moore, they trade him to the Bears, and now you need another DJ Moore. Running the football wasn't all that effective. Miles Sanders, 14 carries for 43 yards. Wasn't doing against this team. Again, it's not a good offensive line. Saints ended up with four sacks. They're an aggressive team. They do get to the quarterback. But for Bryce, this season, you know you're not going to the playoffs. It's about improving as much as you can and see how many games you can win. Quite frankly, can you improve throughout the year? Can you be quicker? That run he made last night, I thought that was a good moment for him, where he just scrambled up the middle, he saw the field well, and said, you know what, I can get some yards here. I'm taking off. And that you need to see a little bit of, of more of that from him. But Carolina will be a team that people forget because they're not talented. Looking at their schedule, they got, they're at the Seahawks. That's a tough place to play for a rookie quarterback. Seattle might have lost there in week one. But you go in Detroit, you get a big win. That atmosphere, heesh. Play the Vikings. Go to Detroit, go to the Dolphins, 
really the measuring stick games this year for him will be playing against Houston because you'll play against C.J. Stroud. He was taken a pick behind you. The next week you play the Indianapolis Colts. You'll play Anthony Richardson. They play the Bears, who they traded D.J. Moore to, so you'll play against Justin Fields. See how you play in your division against the Bucks, against the Falcons. But other than those games, maybe they sneak a division game out like they almost did last night, just despite the fact that they were god-awful. It's not going to be a winning year for them. They might get... It wouldn't shock me if they finished with two or three wins. Maybe, maybe I would go... Looking at their schedule, the way I just laid it out, if it's if the number is three and a half, I'm taking the under for sure. If the number's three, I might even go under. Because they're just not talented. And you lose Shaq Thompson on your defense, and you, you don't have a whole lot of skill to begin with, but the more it falls off, the worse it gets. Like, the Colts are a better football team than Carolina is at this juncture. Houston, who hasn't won a game yet, aren't great, but I do think they're better than Carolina. The Bears, <laughs> who knows about the Bears? They could be playing Nathan Peterman by the end of the year, for all we know. They could have a new quarterback and tanking for Caleb Williams. But Carolina will be one of those teams with Arizona, with probably Houston. Indy will be in that mix, but I think Indy's better than them. The Rams have been impressive, but I want to see how long they can keep this up. Can they continue to play this good of football and stay competitive and everything that they've done is, is incredible. But how how long is that sustainable? What I think with Carolina is they're going to be in that position. Of we have a high draft pick. Do we want to take a quarterback or are we sticking with Bryce Young? And it might sound fickle. Bryce Young, after one season, you're going to give up on the guy. The way the college quarterbacks look this year, it will be a topic of discussion. It has to be. Because you go, well, we could have Caleb Williams or Drake May or Michael Penix Jr., Shador Sanders, Bo Nix, Quinn Ewers. Do we stick with Bryce? Do we trade away our pick to get more draft capital? Those are discussions that will be had. Because I do think Bryce is talented, and it's hard to get a real gauge on what he is because the team around him is not very good. And when veteran aging wide receiver Adam Thielen, who was cut from the Saints, is your best wide receiver, you know you have problems. You know you're in deep trouble. In Carolina, the GM and the football personnel that put together a team have done him no favors by putting the roster that they have together because the roster is not competitive and he doesn't have a whole lot of help out there. The biggest thing they did was overpay Miles Sanders to come in and run the football. 
when they had a better running back room last year when they nearly made the postseason with Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield for a little bit, and P.J. Walker, for Christ's sakes. But New Orleans is the team to follow. Carolina will be lost in the shadows. We'll start talking about them when draft season comes up or towards the end of the year and they're in the mix for one of the top picks in the draft. Also news out of New York, not this time with the Jets, but with the Giants. I mentioned Saquon Barkley injured his ankle yesterday. It is not a high ankle sprain, but it's a, they call it a, just a regular ankle sprain. Supposed to be out two to three weeks, but then Brian Dayball comes out this morning and says, we're not ruling out Saquon for Thursday. They play Thursday night in San Francisco. Said Saquon woke up, feels better, and they're going to wait all until game time to make a decision. I don't think he plays. I think it'd be stupid to play him against the best team in football. Let him rest for over 10 days. Maybe he could be back in week four when the G-Men play the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. That seems like the smarter decision to me. This could just be cat and mouse, a little gamesmanship by Brian Dayball before the game on Thursday night. But Saquon Barkley says he's going to they say he's going to be out 3 weeks, but then he could be could be playing as soon as Thursday, who knows. But that's the news with Saquon Barkley. Another injury in the NFL. Just thankfully, he's not a guy that's out for the season because he's the best offensive player on the New York Giants, without a doubt. But it's it's been an interesting start to the season. Eagles, Cowboys, Commanders, all 2-0, the NFC East. NFC South, Bucks. Saints, Falcons, all 2-0. You got the Bengals at 0-2. You got the Browns, Steelers at 1-1. The Ravens leading that division. Dolphins are 2-0, look like one of the best offenses. You got the Broncos who are at 0-2 in the the AFC West. A lot of teams are still figuring out who they are and what their identity is and how they're going to win games week in, week out. So it's cat and mouse. Week three, upcoming, Thursday night. This weekend, Falcons-Lions. Who knew that would be an interesting game, but it is. Saints-Packers. Broncos go to Miami in a very important game for them. Bills at the Commanders. And another double dose of Monday Night Football. So obviously looking forward to that as we get closer to week three. Saturday night we had Noche UFC, which was a card at T-Mobile Arena, a fight night, not a pay-per-view, celebrating Mexican Independence Day with a number of high-profile Mexican fighters on the card. And it featured women's flyweight champion Alexa Grasso defending her title against 
former champion Valentina Shevchenko. Grosso won the first fight in the fourth round via rear naked choke, and they ran it back. It was one of the best female fights in UFC history. It was entertaining. There was drama. I thought both women in different parts fought very intelligently. And it was close. Valentina looked better in this fight than she did her previous two where she should have lost to Tyler Santos and she lost in the first iteration to Alexa Grasso. The first round, her striking was better. She was able to take Alexa to the ground with a beautiful takedown, and she clearly won round one. Round two, Grasso, I thought, got back in the fight, landing some big strikes, better in, in her striking game. Round three goes to Shevchenko again. Nice takedown, able to get some ground and pound while there, and just controlling the octagon. Four was the round in question. Valentina took her down, but Grosso was able to get back up, land some big shots, stagger Valentina. She dropped Valentina at one point in the fourth round, and Valentina was able to roll out of it. It was really close. Really, really close. It could have went either way. And then the fifth was also close, but to me, Alexa wins the fifth. Shevchenko made a mistake like she did in the first fight, looking for a spinning back fist. Grasso was able to take her back, get her to the ground, and started laying down shots. I thought at one point she might do enough to get Valentina out of there, but she defended well enough, was able to survive, and we went to the judges' scorecards for a decision. And they ruled it a split draw. One judge had it for Grasso, one had it for Shevchenko, and then there was Mike Bell, who had a 10-8 in the fifth round for Alexa Grasso, which he gave the third and the fourth to Shevchenko in the first, and he gave the fifth a 10-8, which made it even a split draw, which means that Alexa Grasso retains the title. It was not a 10-8. It was not a 10-8 in the fifth because it was a close round. I saw people bisping. I haven't listened to You're Welcome with my guy Chael P yet. But I think he believes that Valentina Shevchenko won that fight. But it was not a 10-8, but I disagreed with giving the fourth round to Valentina. I thought Alexa Grasso won the fight. I thought Alexa Grasso did enough to retain her title, winning three rounds to two. But this is, is a lot of people say Valentina won, it was Grasso, it was a lot of debate. It went everywhere. There was no clear-cut decision. There was some really shady judging throughout Noche UFC. Some rounds that 
some scorecards that I went, whoa, what happened here? Wait, he won the fight? There was just times I went, I don't really get this. Early in the prelim preliminary card, you had the... You had Tracy Cortez. They had her losing a first round in, in one of these... In one of the fights where she... That was the uh, the round she clearly won. They had her winning 30-27. to 27. I thought... Yasmin Yazadevichis from Canada won a round in there, but again, they didn't give it to her. So the judging was suspect, like it usually is. So what do you do now? Because that's the decision. Grosso is still the champion. Valentina's not happy. She went on Ariel Hawani's show yesterday, and she said she wants a third fight. Feels like she won this one. She wants her belt back. She wants to do it in her home country. She said after the fight that the judges gave it to her because it was Mexican Independence Day. Which I disagree with, but hey, she's trying to get her point across, so, so good on her. I'm not opposed to a third fight. Because the first two have been fantastic, and I thought the one Saturday was... Phenomenal. I think it would sell. I think this third fight kind of has a Davison Figueredo, Brandon Moreno feel to it. Where they fought four times and I was not complaining about the fourth fight because the first three were fantastic. First fight, it was a shock. Grasso beats Shevchenko. Second one, people say, well, Valentina rebounded, and she fought a hell of a lot better than she did in the, her previous two appearances in the octagon. I think you need to settle the score. And I don't think it's, it's holding up the division all that much because you can book a fight that you could argue you need to, this needs to happen anyway. Aaron Blanchfield and Manofaro both won in the last month-ish. Month and change. Blanchfield defeated Tyler Santos at UFC Singapore. And Manofaro beat Thug Rose, Nama Yunus, in Paris. Both didn't get a finish, but they both won their respective fights. They both feel that they are the next up to become the number one contender to fight for the title. Aaron Blanchfield was in attendance Saturday night watching this fight. I'm sure she wasn't happy with the way the judges scored it because I think it makes it more difficult for her to get to that title shot. If I'm the UFC, I'm booking this third fight. Early next year, maybe February, March. I doubt Valentina will want to go to Mexico to fight her. Because it sounds like the UFC is going to Mexico next year. I'm sure they'd love to have Alexa Grasso on that card. Well, she's fighting in September, so will she want to turn around that quickly? That remains to be seen. But I think you can book that rematch for the title. And you go Aaron Blanchfield and Manoffaro. As a number one contender fight. Make it known. 
These two women, the winner of this fight, will fight the winner of Valentina Grosso 3, and you have your next two fights set up. Because both women feel like they deserve it. And it's a fair thing to say. Because Faro hasn't lost in the UFC. And neither has Aaron Blanchfield. They're both 2-3 in the rankings, respectively. So both undefeated in the UFC, both coming off wins. Well, I I think that's an interesting fight to, to look into. An interesting two fights that would sell. I'm sure it's frustrating for Aaron Blanchfield because I thought of the two, she deserved it the most. I thought she looked better and she had a tougher opponent in in their respective battles. But I don't mind a third fight. I think the third fight, the fans like it. The atmosphere at T-Mobile Saturday was fantastic. The energy, the feel, the moment. Grosso Shevchenko, I, I understand why Shevchenko is upset. But I, if I was a judge, I would have given it to Alexa Grosso. I felt she did enough in the fourth round, in the fifth round, to retain her title. But it, it's up in the air. It's as close as it gets for a title fight and for a judge to make a decision. I don't know how you give a 10-8 in the fifth. I don't understand that. So based on the judging criteria, Shevchenko should be champion today because that was not a 10-8. The rest of the night, co-main event, we had Jack Della Maddalena against Kevin Holland. People complained about this fight. That was a really well-fought fight. Both, both of their defense were was fantastic. Jack Della was scored the winner via split decision. Close. I, I had Kevin Holland winning myself. I thought Kevin Holland won the fight. I thought the way his defense, he avoided big strikes. So did Jack. Both of them fought very well. But both guys looked really solid inside the cage. Both of them looked like elite welterweights, which I think they are. Kevin Holland has really improved. He's not the brash guy that just talks in there anymore. He can punch, he can kick, he can grapple if you want. And this was a pure strike fest. But this is a good bounce back performance for Jack Della Maddalena, who didn't perform all that well against Reveal Hafez in July. But you have two guys, 12, 30. I mean, welterweight is an interesting division. Because it's so interesting and then so uninteresting at the same time. Because if you go look at it, 13, Kevin Holland, interesting fighter, fun fighter. 12, JDL, interesting. 11, Ian Machado Gary, who is probably the biggest prospect in the UFC currently. 10, Vicente Luque coming off an injury, beats a former champion. And Rafael Dos Anchos in his first fight back, he looks good. Sean, Bra- uh, Sean Brady hasn't fought in a long time, nearly a year, but he's number nine in the rankings. He's only lost 
once in his pro career. He doesn't have a whole lot of weaknesses. His only loss is Bilal Muhammad. He's awesome. Eight, Jeff Neal. He's the gatekeeper. He's been around a long time. But Jeff Neal is a good fighter. So he's still interesting. Seven, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He's 40 years old. He's still the best striker in the division. He still makes the most interesting fights. There's guys, you look at him and go, okay, we need to book him against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson because even at his age, his style is so entertaining, so fun to watch. So he absolutely, even at his advanced age, is interesting. Six, Shavkat Rachmanov. Scary dude at 170 pounds. Was supposed to fight at this on this card, but Kelvin Gastelum got hurt, had to pull out of the fight. Again, another guy that is undefeated, 17-0. Looks phenomenal. He's undefeated. Gary's undefeated. Sean Brady has one loss. It's crazy. Five, you have Gilbert Burns. Okay, Gilbert Burns advancing in age. He's still Gilbert Burns. He still can compete with the best of them. He's still a tough out because of his grappling and his style and the, the pressure he puts on you. Four, you have Chemaev. He's 185 pounders, so remove him. But then we get to the top. What's happening? We have a pay-per-view in December that doesn't have a main event yet. Leon Edwards, Colby Covington, we know they've been fighting since March. Nothing. Quiet. Crickets on what's happening with this fight. Colby Covington doesn't deserve the fight, but he's going to get the fight, so it makes it let, less interesting for me. Then you have Bilal Muhammad, who fought May, uh, UFC 288 in May, defeating Gilbert Burns. He's been told he's next. So you need to see Usman, uh, sorry, you need to see Edwards fight Covington. Winner of that then has to fight Muhammad, which will be who the hell knows when, because Leon Edwards is not exactly an active champion. Colby Covington hasn't fought in, in nearly 20 months. So both guys are not guys that like to step in the octagon all that much. One, two fights a year max. You still have Kamara Usman, who fought once this year. Is he going to fight two times this year? He wanted to fight Wonder Boy. He hasn't said anything since. There's been no talk about it. Are they going to fight in New York? I don't know. Nothing about it. So there's a lot of interesting prospects. And there's a lot of fun fights that you could make at the bottom. But the top of the welterweight division is so uninteresting because nobody fights. Nobody fights. And there's never any news about these guys fighting. Usman calls out Wonder Boy. No fight made. Didn't fall up on it. Okay. Well, what now? If Usman doesn't fight Wonderboy, I don't know who the hell he fights. Shavkat? I'm not doing that if I'm Usman. He's not fighting any of these contenders. Does he want to move to 85? Now that Israel Adesanya is not champion? That'd be interesting. So 170 is awesome because of the contenders, but the top of the division is so boring. So boring because there's just nothing interesting about it because nobody's active. 
There's no talk about it. December is just this weird card. Is Sean O'Malley going to fight on that card? Are they going to put a flyweight fight on that card? Who's headlining in December? What's the co-main event fight in New York? Because Abu Dhabi is stacked. Abu Dhabi next month is a pay-per-view full of awesome fights that I can't wait to see. Islam, Charles, rematch, Costa, Chemaev, Imamov, Alaskarov, Johnny Walker, Magomed Ankalaev. Love that one. But then you go to New York a couple weeks later. Right now, the co-main event is Jessica Andrash and Mackenzie Dern. That's a good fight, but it's not... I don't think it's co-main event on a, on a New York card, but they're selling tickets for like $112,000 in the nosebleeds. They have Derek Brunson, Roman Duelise booked. They cut Derek Brunson. He's no longer on the UFC roster, so that fight's scrapped. So currently they have four fights announced for New York. And I get it. You'll say, Noah, it's in a couple months. It's in it's November 11th, rest less than two months away. And it's in New York, so you think they'd want to put a good card together. And maybe they will. And I think Wonder Boy and Kamara Usman would be a great fight for this card. That would certainly be a, a co-main event. But is Roman Duelice going to have a new opponent? He hasn't fought since March. Again, it becomes tricky because a lot of guys in the in the middleweight division have fights. Drickus is waiting for a title shot. He's not fighting. Israel, not fighting for a while. Whitaker wants a fight. I don't think he's going to fight Roman, who's seventh in the rankings. Jared, interesting spot. I think Kanier might fight Whitaker another time. Vittori has already fought Roman, so that's not going to happen. Costa's booked. Shamaya's booked. Jack Hermanson hasn't fought. Brendan Allen has a fight. Gaslam's a 170-pounder. Imamov's booked. Craig's booked. Curtis is banged up. It gets tough. I'm not trying to play matchmaker. I'm just saying, hey, maybe get it together, UFC. But JDL beats Kevin Holland. I disagree with the decision. Raul Rojas Jr., the 18-year-old who lost his last time out to Christian Rodriguez, got humbled, took it on the chin, comes out, third fight on the card, and... How about a 40-second knockout of Terrence Mitchell? It was so impressive to me that, because he worked on his striking, it was clear that he realized, this is the weakness of my game. My striking needs to improve. If I'm going to, if I'm going to win fights, if I'm going to be a champion in the UFC someday, I can't just be a wrestler. He didn't even try to wrestle. He just went and started attacking Terrence Mitchell. Knocks him out with a beautiful shot. And he gets back in the win column. He wins a performance of the night bonus. He's 18. They need to continue to slow play him. 
because he needs to continue to work on his skills. Because for him, in his division, it's tough. Because I think Bantamweight is at 145 is a tough, tough division. Because even going through it here, You have guys like Davy Grant, Douglas Silva Andrash, Mario Bautista has won a lot of fights in a row. Cameron Samen, who's ranked 40th, who has not lost yet. He's going to fight Christian Rodriguez next month. Fun fight. Damon Blackshear, Marcus McGahey, who's 2-0 in the UFC. He's really good. Rojas right now is ranked 58th. I continue to find fighters. If I'm booking his next fight, you have Rinya Nakamura, who's undefeated, who won in Singapore. He's pretty, he's a solid fighter. Garrett Armfield, he won in Singapore. That might be the fight I book. Armfield and Rojas. I don't want to throw him in there with Blackshear. McGahey, not yet. You know, Fred Basharat, no. Saman, no. You think about throwing him in there with Cody Gibson, who's the runner-up, the ultimate fighter, potentially. 145 is, is loaded. There's a lot of talented guys. I mean, Umar Gamadamadov, who's undefeated is 14th in the rankings because he hasn't fought all year. We go Chris Gutierrez at 12, Munoz is 11, Rob Font, who's solid, Dominic Cruz, Song Yadong, Henry Cejudo, Peter Yan, Cheeto, Sanhagen. There's some killers. He needs to be slow played until he's given his next opportunity. Do not rush him. Rest of the card, Roman Kopilov, the Russian who had a slow start, lost his two fights to start his UFC career. He's won his last four. It's another TKO with a nasty, nasty body kick. So he's on the move. Joe Pfeiffer is fighting in a couple weeks on October 7th. These two guys are both great middleweights. I think if Joe, fight, uh, Joe Pfeiffer wins that fight, you book Kopilov versus Joe in 2024. Two guys rising in this division. Two great strikers. I think it makes for a really fun fight. I mentioned Tracy Cortez beat Jasmine Yavadevichis from Canada. Kyle Nelson won his second fight in a row. So Canadians go one one and one on the card. We had a great atmosphere this weekend at T-Mobile. Won't get that again this week. Apex the next couple weeks. Apex next couple weeks. But I will say it's a solid card. You have Charles Jourdain, Canadian on the card. Brian Battle, who's fun. Marina Rodriguez against Michelle Waters and Gomez, a rematch. Two veterans of the sport. Dan Ige against Bryce Mitchell at Featherweight is, is fun. Rafael Faziev and Matias Gamrot in the main event is an awesome fight. Shouldn't be at an Apex fight, but it's great. 
you get that this weekend, and there's a week off for the first time since like May. Then you have another Apex card featuring Grant Dawson and Bobby Green. Following weekend, another Apex card, Siddiq Yusuf against the veteran Edson Barbosa. Jennifer Maya's on that card, Marc Andre Barrio of Canada. And we have a pay per view the weekend after. So, three Apex weekends. But I will say, even though they're Apex weekends, there are some good fights on these on these events. And I, I'm not complaining. I like having UFC every weekend because I like watching people fight. So, kudos to them on booking as many events as they do. Let's see. Some other news. Mel Tucker fired. For cause at Michigan State for his sexual harassment that I talked about last week. So he's gone. They worked out a settlement. So he's no longer with Michigan State. We all knew that was going to happen. And Alabama, who have been struggling to find a, a quarterback, they named Jalen Milrow, who was benched last weekend, as their quarterback this year. Uh, sorry, this week against Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin against Nick Saban. Two old pals will meet up and, and play this in one of the big games of a huge of a huge CFL, uh, sorry, a huge NCAA football weekend. So Jalen Milrow gets back under center for the worst Alabama team in recent memory, but somehow they'll find a way to beat Ole Miss this weekend. You just know it. You got Braden Chen, the new captain for the St. Louis Blues. 24th captain, team history. He's been there a long time, been a good soldier. Good for, I thought it'd be Braden Chen or Robert Thomas, but he's 32. Entering his seventh season in St. Louis and fifteenth season in the NHL. Wow, time flies. Won the Stanley Cup. Almost a thousand games in the NHL now. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with this. That's a good that's a good choice. Craig Berube has been there a long time. As has Braden Shen. So you keep that lineage. The team wants to be better. He plays his ass off for that city. He loves that team. He loves the city. So a good pairing, a good pairing. A lot of new captains. Chicago also announced they will not have a team captain this year as training camps are set to open tomorrow across the NHL. And we'll get more into the NHL and teams as we get closer to the start of the season. But obviously Mike Babcock has been the talk of the hockey universe the last the last week. You know, a bigger story than anything, really. Anything people in, in the United States are talking about the Mike Babcock debacle and what happened there. I obviously gave my thoughts on it yesterday. I'm not going to reiterate them. If you want to go into the last about 15 minutes of the show yesterday, I talked about my thoughts on it. And I'm not defending Mike Babcock, but I am defending the ability to coach hard and do things different than other people. And I think that's being taken away in, in our society today. 
because if you don't do the same as, as everybody else, if you don't have the same beliefs as everybody else that they that they implement as the correct way of thinking, then you're ostracized. And I think that's what happened here. I think you get a mob of people led by ex-players who were pissed off the way they were treated. They get a guy out of the league. But good on them. They they got their way. They did what they wanted to do. Good on spitting chiclets. Not really. We'll wrap up today with baseball. Really, it's something else what a couple days brings. Since Thursday, the Orioles have, so the Astros have lost 3 of 4. Texas has lost 4 of 4. And Seattle has lost 3 of the last 4. And the Blue Jays sweep the Red Sox. And now they're in the driver's seat to make the postseason. As I said yesterday, they will make the postseason. Sign, seal, delivered, stamp it. They are making the postseason. They get six games against the Yankees, six games against the Rays, and then they might stay in Tampa and play the Rays in the wild card series. That might be the way it goes. It looks like they might be the second wild card team at this point. Vladdy's starting to hit. Both time. Their starting pitching is still very good, like it has been all year. They get a couple walk-off victories. And they're just finding ways to win games. It's all that matters at this point in the year. Texas find, finds ways to lose games. Last night in Boston, you gag away a lead. Boston, who's lost all, just anything they have when it comes to being competitive, a couple of tough losses this weekend, they find a way to screw Texas. Houston has a huge lead, a two-run lead going into the eighth. Orioles come back and win the game. Orioles have won their last three against two against the Rays and then beating Houston last night. I've said this forever. The Blue Jays are not an interesting team, but from the beginning of the year, they should be a playoff team because their roster is too good for them not to be a playoff team. You want to win every game that you're in, you understand that. They don't own the tiebreaker against the Mariners or the Rangers. But here's what they need to do. They want to come in third. They want to come in third, so they have to go to Minnesota to play. They want to go to Minnesota, go to that park, target field, and play the Twins. Twins have played better baseball as of late. Sure, they got some solid starting pitchers. Rocco Beldelli, their manager, I think he's a, he's a good manager. I think he's they, they always are competitive in Minnesota. But the Blue Jays are better than the Minnesota Twins. The Blue Jays should go into Minnesota and win their first playoff series with this iteration of Atkins and Shapiro. They don't win that. They're not going to win anything. Fire them. Fire Ross Atkins, anyway. Going to the Trop, I wouldn't want to do that. That's not on my bingo card. I don't think the Blue Jays have any interest in doing that. They struggle in the Trop. The Tampa Bay Rays, despite the fact that they are battered and injured, should have won 3 or 4 against the Orioles this weekend in Baltimore. But they lose a game in extras on Sunday. 
Now Baltimore's back in the driver's seat, and they have a two-and-a-half game lead over the Rays in the American League East. And the Braves are skidding, and the Orioles are only two games back of the Braves for having the best record in all of baseball. The World Series may go through Baltimore, if you could believe that. A team that missed the playoffs last year. The American League is wide open. Wide open. Get in, you can go to the World Series. Houston can't close a game. Houston is giving up eight runs a night, seemingly. Their pitching is skidding. I said this before. I think there's three teams more dangerous than any one team in the American League, and that's the uh, the Dodgers, the Braves, and the Phillies. I'd go Phillies surpassing the Dodgers, but I think the Phillies and the Braves are more dangerous than any team in the American League. I don't care. Blue Jays, Astros, okay, spare me. Orioles are a great team. I don't trust them to win in the postseason because they've never been there. And yes, you don't need to know. In baseball, it's different than other sports. But I don't trust their starting pitching. They don't have Bautista, their closer, who's paramount to their success, and he's unlikely to be available come the postseason. So Cano will move from the eighth inning to the ninth inning, which is what he's doing now. I honestly think that if this team can get in, which I don't know if they're going to, I think Seattle would be the trickiest team because I like their starting pitching and I like their bats and the way baseball is played. Now they can hit home runs with anybody to Oscar, Julio, Ty France, Eugenio Suarez, Cal Riley. All those guys can hit go yard. Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby for 90 pitches and not a pitch more. They can be dangerous. If Texas misses, there will be, I don't know what's going to happen. You're spending all that money and you're in the, you're going to win the American League West easily. And they get to the eighth inning last night, and they give up three runs. To the Red Sox, who dressed the lineup, where you have Rafael Devers. Verdugo didn't have an at-bat. Trevor Story didn't have a hit. You have Wong, who's barely an MLB player. Urias, Bobby Bobby Dahlbeck, who's played 12 games this year. Reyes, who's been called up. Ref Snyder, who, and Rafaela, who's played 19 pro games. And you lost to basically a triple-A team in Rafael Devers last night. Can't happen. Game two tonight, pressure on Texas. Evaldi on the mound. Is he healthy? Can he pitch? He had to be pulled out early against the start against the Blue Jays. Blue Jays, Yankees tonight in the Bronx. Yusei Kikuchi against Clark Schmidt. Rays are hosting the Angels. The Rays are getting a new ballpark, folks. 
The TROP is going to be dead. A new $300 million facility in Tampa Bay. I, for one, am happy they're not moving. I'm fine with if a ball team goes to Montreal, but I like having a team in Tampa because it's more sports teams and warm weather cities, which is the best case scenario for me. Why play in a cold, cold weather city? Why do it? I don't know. If you don't have to. The National League, the Marlins were red hot until last night. They lose to the Mets. They're 2-6 against the Mets this season. Ugh. So currently, you got Arizona has leapfrogged the Cubs for the second wildcard spot. The Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds of the same division are tied for the third wildcard spot. The Marlins are a half game back, and San Francisco is two back. So lots of intrigue there. Cincy is, are hosting the Minnesota Twins this week. They won game one. Cubs are hosting the Pirates. Giants are in Arizona for a massive series for both teams. Zach Gallen, Alex Cobb, their team's two best pitchers, go head-to-head tonight. Seattle's in Oakland, Luis Castillo on the mound. If he has a good start tonight, he very well could win the American League Cy Young. He's right there with Garrett Cole of the Yankees. If Seattle makes the playoffs, that could be another thing that pushes him over the top. But that's the baseball story. Less than two weeks before the end of the regular season. Two series left for every team. If you go to way to win games, you get in. Otherwise, you're done. Shohei Otani is done for the year. Cleaned out his locker. He's gone from Anaheim. I think it's his, it was his last stint in Anaheim. Is he going to be a Dodger? Is he going to be a Mariner? I don't know, but he's done with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim like he should be. Good riddance to them. They don't deserve him. That joke of an organization. Tomorrow we'll react to some we'll react to the baseball tonight. I got my top five storylines from the NFL after the first two weeks. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Some interesting stuff that I came up with. We'll get into some NHL stories as the training camps open across the league. Players coming back, preseason games as early as this weekend, I believe. Arizona and Los Angeles are playing games in Australia this weekend. So that's happening. Why Australia? I don't know. But they're playing there in the preseason. Games start the date to start the season. I think it's the 11th, maybe. I could be wrong about that. I'm probably wrong about that. It's the 10th. Predators Lightning. 6.30 start. That can't be. It's weird. 
Blackhawks Penguins. Connor Bedard's debut against Sidney Crosby. And then the Kraken and the Golden Knights. Which I'm sure will not bother any radio hosts in Toronto that the Maple Leafs only start the next night. But what can you do? We got baseball tonight. Should be fun. Two weeks left. Then we get to baseball postseason, which is awesome. Football, full swing. We got the NHL returning. Fun UFC events. Fun MMA events coming up. Boxing. So, lots happening. Thank you for tuning in today. Appreciate the support as always. Talk to you tomorrow. Here on To The Point.